Welcome to MLR Kickoff, episode 14, with your hosts, Dan Power and Pete Steinberg. A very warm welcome, everyone, and a warm welcome to you as well, Pete Steinberg. It has been a bumper week for rugby in the United States, capped off last weekend with the first ever men's victory over Samoa. But uh, as per usual, we'll kick things off with a travel tip. Check that. Not this time because, Pete, you have something special a little later with a guest that you interviewed earlier today. Is that correct? That's right. Um, I had a good long chat with Mark Winneker, who is the general manager of the Toronto Arrows, and you will find the travel tip embedded in that discussion. It was a travel tip that everyone should take, especially if you're coming from Canada to the U.S. Well, there's an Easter egg alert there for all you keen comic book fans. Uh, You can keep an eye out for that one a little later. But let's delve into the performances of both USA outfits over the weekend, Pete, before we really sink our teeth into Major League Rugby news that has happened over the last seven days. And uh, two games over the weekend, the women taking on England and the men taking on Samoa down there in Spain. What were your thoughts? Firstly, let's do the women against England up there in uh, the UK. Well, I mean, I thought it was a brave performance by the uh, the, the U.S. women. Um, you know, it was in the pouring rain. Um, we have a very young side. It was a pretty young England side as well. But, um, you know, the big difference made a, maker was um, Katie Daly-McLean, who got a 100th cap, who's probably one of the best players I have ever coached to get against men or women. I think she's the complete fly half. And, uh, um, well, you know, the U.S. did. They scored their, a try, which was great. Um, it's their first try. Um, on uh, on this series and, uh, you know, lots of really good experience are happening. And when Katie Daly-McLean came off, it became a pretty even contest. So um, I think the uh, the players bounced back and actually they just got their very first win of the Rob Kane era, winning 25-24 today against England A. Um, and so they have an exciting matchup against Ireland, which I think will really be the measuring step of this tour. Yeah, I agree. Got to watch a little bit of the game uh, on the highlights and it, uh, tough conditions for both sides of playing there. And then the academy game today, pretty evenly matched, I would feel. A, a lot of young uh, young ladies being selected for this tour for the USA and also for the Red Roses putting out their younger players. So not a bad little test there for the youngsters on both sides, kind of where they stand and a good look to the future as well. But uh, men, they get their first victory over Samoa off the boot of Will Hooley, who was uh, a little up and down off the kicking tee throughout the day. But when it counted, he put it through the post. Absolutely. I mean, I I thought this was, I mean, look, it wasn't a great game by the Eagles or by Samoa. It was extremely scrappy. Um, I actually thought, thought that about the first 15 or 20 minutes was probably about as complete a performance as we've seen for the U.S. team. They absolutely dominated territory. They dominated possession, and they were 15-0 up, and this looked like it could be a blowout. But, you know, Samoa, you just give them a little bit of space, you make a couple of mistakes, and they were able to come right back and make it 15-14 at halftime. And no doubt the influence of Major League Rugby on the international side, along with the buffed-up schedule from the Eagles, has certainly made a difference to their performances on the field. And one country that will be looking to benefit next year will be Canada, who got a win against Kenya in the repercharge. But 
they will be looking to get that same boost to their playing pool, their domestic playing pool, with the introduction of the Toronto Arrows. And Pete, you caught up with the man in Toronto when it comes to rugby, Mr. Mark Winnaker. Let's have a listen in to your interview with Mark. Well, we are um, very glad to have Mark Winnaker, the general manager of the um, newly renamed Toronto Arrows, on with us. So, Mark, thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me, guys. Looking forward to it. So, you know, we're excited to to add a team across the border. Um, and, you know, I think it would be a good opportunity to talk a little bit about um, the Toronto Arrows and how they fit into the landscape of Canadian rugby. So can, you, you've obviously been involved with this program, um, you know, as the Ontario Blues and then the Ontario Arrows. Can you talk a little bit about the evolution of this team over um, the last few years? Well, as you know, I mean, this really did start with a conscious notion of getting professionalism started in Canada about, interestingly enough, it was 10 years to the day when it was first mentioned for November 2nd, 2008, to the day we actually got into the league on November 2nd, 2018. In that, in that 10 years, we, you know, we played as an amateur side, the Ontario Blues and the Canadian Rugby Championship and won six of the last eight cups. And, um, you know, I think that sort of gets you to the point where you start to think, what else is there? And, you know, we were lucky enough, really, I think what got us over the over the breach was the game against Glendale when they had just de- um, declared that they were going pro and they came up here in May of 17. And we gave them, a, you know, we, we got a pretty good result that day. And there were some folks in the stands who had some some money and they said, you know, they asked me if, I thought I could take this team professional if they got the money together. And I said, yes, very quickly. And here we are. I wish it was that simple, but that's, that's the short. <laughs> well, I mean, you guys come into the league, not only with a team that's been active over many years, but also with um, a true infrastructure and academy, academy program relationships with the local clubs. Um, can you talk a little bit about sort of, how you want to leverage the great playing base that you have in Ontario for the Arrows. Well, yeah, I mean, and, and we really are, you know, blessed in some ways because we've got all these um, terrific age grade teams run by Rugby Ontario. Um, out of the team that played Glendale uh, in September here, 21 of the 23 were graduates of the Ontario Junior Blues program. So, you know, we're not going to reinvent the wheel. I mean, that's really our, our raison d'etre, you know, being is that we've got this, this, this tremendous infrastructure and we really just had to give the guys, you know, that, that last uh, high level of, of play in order to uh, help our national team and, and also, you know, build a commercial story here. So rugby is is obviously very big in ontario i mean it's big across canada but it's particularly big in ontario and in british columbia and what do you want the you know and 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 while there's been discussions of a vancouver team or a vancouver island team in major league rugby you know no one knows if that's going to happen no one knows if there's going to be another canadian um team in major league rugby what do you want the toronto arrows to mean for a player or a fan in Alberta or a player or a fan in British Columbia. Is that where you want to have your reach? Is it really being the Canadian team? Well, yeah. I mean, listen, first of all, in the interest of transparency, we, we've always talked for the last probably five or six years about a, a pathway 
to the Canadian national team that looked like the four Canadian rugby championship teams, regional teams feeding into the into two teams, Toronto and, and notionally Vancouver or Victoria, and then feeding into the national team, a pyramid uh, alignment. It's a very difficult project. And, you know, I, I don't know where the folks are in, in BC with it. Um, we do have predecessors here in, in Canada, of course, with the Toronto Blue Jays, who are the only MLB team in in baseball. We have the Toronto Raptors, who are the only uh, Canadian team in in, um, in the NBA. So we have a bit of a model to follow. Um, and, and listen, you know, like anywhere, we're going to have folks on the West Coast and 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 in the Rockies who don't want to support us because we're from Toronto, but you know that's just not something we can spend time worrying about. We're going to build the best product we can for both you know Toronto, Ontario, and Canada, and you know hopefully we'll we'll get on board and support it. So one of the interesting things about Major League Rugby is that it's being founded and run in a way that. Um, while not outside of the traditional rugby structure, it certainly isn't planning to embed itself in the tr traditional union structure. And so the relationship between USA Rugby and Major League Rugby is definitely a positive relationship and it's cordial, but Major League Rugby does not see itself maybe as other leagues do around the world as sort of, you know, below the union. What, you know, what's the relationship between Rugby Canada um, and the Toronto Arrows, you know, how do you guys see your role with the Canadian national team? You know, how do you think that relationship will evolve now you guys are, are going full-time pro? Well, listen, I mean, you know, it's a, it's a pretty small rugby community and country, so we, we certainly know each other. Um, <clears throat> we're in a little different boat than, than folks, you know, in the U.S. because we are the only team here. And I, I think to be to be candid, I think there might have been some initial uh, skepticism on the part of Rugby Canada as to what this means. But in the end of the day, the game is about the players. And the players have sort of said, hey, this is something we want to do. Canada needs a professional team. There's no question. We all agree. And this is probably the best way to get there. So we're in good shape with them. You know, we have a very good relationship with, with uh, Kingsley Jones and, and his staff, um, working very closely with SNC and all the other people so that, you know, it's not a feeder team, but it, certainly there's a relationship back and forth um, with the national team. And we hope to, to give them a place to have their players play more good games of rugby in a year, which is what we need. And, and I think, that's, I think that's, that's something else that I was going to ask you about, because, you know, the Rugby Canada model has been to centralize, to, to take, um, to make their players professional, to take them to the West Coast of Victoria and to not play games. Right. And so many of those players are not playing games. Um, do you see some I mean, do you see a number of those players moving um, across country to Toronto or is your team going to be mainly built off the Ontario Blues and that those guys will stay full time? Um, and then, you know, along with that, have you had discussions with Rugby Canada? Um, all things going well this weekend and we are all pulling for you down here south of the border. Um, you know, in terms of even, even Aaron, really, <laughs> I think even Aaron is pulling for Canada. Wow. Like we are all in this together. Wow. Like, okay. So I think, you well, know, so how, did, how is yes, that going to work in I that, in that sort of process? <laughs> so Aaron's on board too. So, so with that, with the, you know, the, with potentially the world cup coming up, you know, what, how are you going to work with the players that are already contracted? And then the guys that you have 
how's that going to work um, to make sure the, the Blues have the best possible um, chance to compete, but also Rugby Canada are able to meet their goals? Well, so, the, I mean, I think the Ontario guys who had moved out to uh, Victoria and now have this opportunity to come home and play pro rugby, that's been a pretty straightforward exercise. And I think you saw some of that, you know, reflected in our first dozen signings right. last, last week. Um, we will have players from other parts of Canada, certainly Eastern Canada. There's a couple of guys that will come in and, and play again, you know, um, easier for them to come here and do that than, than go out to Langford. And listen, I, it's a sea change because there was never an alternative. There wasn't anything we could say to a player to say, Hey, come back to Ontario and, you know, run around in a dome all winter and, and, and play touch. Now we've got a, you know, a professional program that's going to play 16 to 18 games of rugby. And, it, you know, there's a different model and there'll be some bumps in the road, I'm, I'm sure. But um, to answer your question in short form, it'll be a lot of the Ontario guys who were centralized and it will be a lot of Ontario guys who are here and it will be a, a smattering of, of offshore players. Let's let's talk a little bit about your schedule because you might have the most unusual schedule of um, any professional rugby team in the world where your first eight games are all away and your next eight games are all at home. Um, it's a, and it's a lot of travel, you know, so places like San Diego and Seattle are not easy trips. Obviously, the schedule just came out, but have you guys thought about how you're going to manage that? Have you guys thought about, like, sort of the way to be able to break up the season so it's manageable? And by the time you get to the home games, you don't have players that are broken and burnt out. Well, yeah, we, we did actually spend all day in a planning session yesterday, and, and that was certainly a large part of it. Um, listen, it is what it is because unless you want to, unless you want to get the MLR teams to come up here and play hockey, then you know it, we're not playing here until April, and that's right. not, not going to change anytime soon. So, you know, we're just going to have to deal with it. I mean, one of the one of the benefits of the Blues program was you know we did spend a lot of time traveling because Canada is an enormous country, and our closest home game in in the CRC, our, our CRC was a three and a half hour flight and most of them were five. So right. we're a little bit used to that. Um, doing it eight weeks out of 10 will be sure a challenge. I mean, New York's not too bad. That's you know 45 minute flight, but um, yeah, we we've talked about ways to, to break it up and what are we going to do on bye weeks and when are we going to dial it up and when are we going to dial it down? And I, I think even a bigger challenge for us is, is potentially losing players to the ARC because we're the only team in Canada. We'll lose it you know, we'll lose a decent chunk. Uh, and again, that's somewhat dependent on um, what happens with the repishage. So it's, you know, there's, there's a number of hurdles in front of us. We're, we're very aware of what they all are and, you know, we're going to target some games and we're going to try and do the best we can. And when we get home in April, you know, if we're anywhere close to mid table, I think then we've got a, you know, a decent shot at doing, doing pretty well. So, you know, on, on the schedule, your, um, let's talk a little bit about facilities. So on, on the schedule, um, it talks about York University, but there are two facilities on campus that you guys can use, correct? There, well, there are. I mean, it's a complicated scenario because some of it's weather dependent. We're planning to play on a grass pitch at York, um, you know, certainly starting in April. There are some 
there's some variables that we're dealing with right now that that you know may change some of the back end of the schedule. But um, you know, again, these are these are weather related and, and climate related and and university project related things and not things that we can control. So wherever we wind up playing will be a decent facility for sure. And and we're not we're not worried about that. That's well down the list of things to worry about. And then, um, you know, you guys have, have taken the Ontario Arrows on the road, in, in particular to Halifax. And so for, um, for, for many of the listeners, we'll explain that Halifax is not in Ontario. No, it is certainly not in Ontario. <laughs> it's, in, it's in Newfoundland. And so no, it's, it's not in, it's in Nova Scotia. Nova actually. Scotia, sorry, Nova Scotia. Look at that. I was uh, showing off my ignorance. Are, are you planning to sort of take it on the road to Eastern Canada and, and try and create a little bit of a fan base or, or is that really just some one-offs as, as you guys were just looking to develop the program? No, I mean, I, I think that was, you know, listen, that was initiated by, by the good folks in Halifax, Derek Martin and his crew at um, sports entertainment Atlantic. Um, and, you know, they've got a gorgeous stadium right in smack in the middle of the city um, with a tremendous pitch. And, you know, I think he was, we were both looking for ways to maximize those brands. And I, I'm, we're hoping that's an ongoing uh, fall fixture and we we're hoping to get better weather for it next time. But um, sure. I mean, we want, we don't want Toronto to just be a Toronto team. We want it to be Canada's team, much like the, the Jays play some games in Montreal in the preseason and the Raptors play some games. In fact, the Raptors have actually played in Halifax. So, you know, we'll, we'll do a bit of that. I mean, we really want to get just as many Canadian fans behind us as, as possible. So one of the one of the uh, um, benefits that that Canada has traditionally had over their um, southern neighbor in the states is the uh, um, the fact that a lot of grandparents of Canadian players um, uh, came from the UK and so therefore have been able to sort of qualify as as residents. But it's interesting that in um, uh, in your first squad of twelve, you had a player that actually. Um, was born in Canada, but sort of grew up in in Wales and is now coming back. Does that demonstrate a, a sort of very broad network that you guys are using for recruiting? Yeah, I mean, it, it does. And there'll be some more guys that you'll, that you'll see in the next group of signings who fall under that category as well. I, I think, you know, to be candid, um, we've Canada as, as a national team organization has been poor about chasing up our our expat opportunities. And, you know, our offshore opportunities. And, and I think there's a real conscious effort to do that now. And I mean, this was just a case of Kingsley ringing up and saying, hey, listen, there's a there's a tidy back out in in Cardiff who's got Canadian uh, heritage and wouldn't mind a crack at this. Why don't you you know get him in and get him playing? And we'll be able to have a look at him at a high level and, and see what we can do. And there'll be some more of that. And I, 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 I think that's a real positive because. We did not do enough of that in the last, you know, five years, let's say. And, and and so, you know, there might be a little bit of sort of the opposite of the brain drain, right? So it's sort of like the talent drain where some people might come back to Canada because they have some Canadian heritage and will be able to now play professional rugby where, um, and I think it's, you know, Jack Evans was not playing sort of provincial rugby you know, or, you know, the top level rugby in Wales and therefore saw this as, as a step down, step down, but still in the pro setting. And I think we're seeing a lot of people do that. And, and when you think about structuring your team, Mark, 
it, you know, um, we've had lots of different models by the team, some of which have had a few pro players and then a large number of other players, sort of what you would call semi-pro that still have jobs, and some that had a large group of pro players with some that were, you know, semi-pro. Um, you know, some teams only practice two or three times a week, while others, you know, had very heavy days. Um, you obviously had a planning session yesterday, so maybe you can talk a little bit about how you guys see your week being structured as you go into the season. Yeah, I, I mean, well, first of all, I think we'll probably have about, you know, our squad will be about two-thirds full-time and one-third, you know, part-time. Um, and, and some of those guys, you know, to be honest, they just have um, jobs and 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 lifestyles that preclude them giving up what they're doing to take a you know a relatively small compensation package to play right, pro rugby. Right. But um you know we've studied a bunch of different teams um the Saracens, the Hurricanes Saracens in London Hurricanes. And the the trend nowadays seems to be that you know a little bit towards less is more. Let's have you know quality um and not so much quantity because let's face it, you know, probably out of our squad, <clears throat> two thirds will be unused to playing 16 to 18 uh, high level games in a six month window. Right. And, you know, so putting them on a, on a training pitch for six hard days of, of, of grind and then trying to play a game and doing that for six months, we just don't see that uh, working. So we'll probably be kind of a three to four day a week team and when you look at our travel schedule too you know there's just no time to do much more than that we're going to be right. you know every friday morning and and you know um back on sunday so um and, and you know we our team culture is i guess the word would be a little bit chill the guys know each other real well they've played together for years and and you know they know what they can and can't do and what they should and shouldn't do so i, I think we'll be at the lower end of the spectrum. We've been that way for years and it seems to have worked. So we'll continue. So one of the, one of the challenges that um, the major league rugby teams have had in the U S is that um, to get through the season last year, they, I think the the smallest number of players was 37 and the largest number of players was 52. And when you, when, when you get into the sort of forties, you've got a lot of players that aren't playing and within um, the U.S., there's been a lot of discussion about the ability for Major League Rugby players to keep their eligibility and play in college or play in club and, and, and have some of that movement. Um, do you expect some of your players, especially later on in your season when they're actually um, when the league is kind of getting up and running in Ontario, are you going to have some players that, that are going to get released to local clubs so they can keep playing um, and, and they can stay sharp? Or do, or do you see another mechanism of providing those players with some high-level rugby? No, I think we will do that. You know, um, we'll, it'll be on a case-as basis. We'll see how, you know, how broken people are and, and how able they are to, to, to perform physically. You know, obviously, we're not going to send a guy back to play club rugby if he's carrying an injury. But if, if, he's, if he's healthy and in good shape and, you know, probably needs a game here or there, we're going to be happy to send them back to the clubs. Remember, our club season doesn't really get going until May because, uh, right. you know, university school ends and the weather's not great and so on. So um, we don't anticipate that to be uh, too much of a problem. And certainly when we get into June, you know, we'll take a look at where guys are at and, and, and absolutely send them back to their clubs because that's, you know, they're the, they're the real base of Ontario rugby. 
So yeah, there was a, there was a long rumor of um, uh, of the Toronto Arrows or the Ontario Arrows joining. Um, uh, you know, obviously it was a little more complex um, with Canadian law and U.S. law and those sorts of things. But what was the thing that the biggest hurdle that you think um, the Toronto Arrows had to overcome to to get into Major League Rugby? What was the thing as you went through the process that you were like, hmm? This might be something that derails it. You know, honestly, uh, I don't think we ever thought that. We're we're pretty methodical about this. Um, Bill and his group are some experienced business folks, and you know, I've been around for a day or two, so we didn't. You know, we never really had a, a, a moment like that where we thought, "Hey, this this ain't happening." Um, you know, it did get bogged down in in cross border law, and you know. I think we were probably aware of it on day one and maybe some of the folks um, in the U S hadn't quite contemplated that as, as deeply as needed to be, but we never had that moment. We said from day one, that the only thing that would stop us is if we played MLR teams and got absolutely blown out off the field, or if we had a home game and nobody showed up and neither of those things happened. So, you know, we once we got, you know, a couple of games under our belt, I think the the, the kind of uh, the eureka moment was in, in Utah when we when we went down there and beat the Warriors just ahead of the season opener. And I think we went, you know, what? let's let's uh, let's let's keep going. Well, yeah. absolutely. Well, Mark, we're, we're excited that, that you kept going. We're excited to have the Toronto Arrows as part of Major League Rugby. And I will tell you that. You know, at the start of every single Major League Rugby kickoff podcast, we do a travel tip. And my travel tip would be get, <laughs> get all of your players to have global entry. You will save yes. hours at, at yes. the line in yes. Toronto every time you leave. Yes. It will just, it'll save you um, a couple of days, I think, probably over the course of the season. But. Yes. You know what, Pete? You're, you're 100% right. And we are planning to do that. And I have it myself. Yep. And, and I've you know, been in that line in Toronto and being like, man. Yeah, well, I, I have it. And you're right. It has saved uh, literally hours. And, and we will certainly be, be looking into, into that, you know, provided nothing goofy happens with like a, a snow wall being built or something like that. But we'll we'll certainly <laughs> going to look into that, you know, um, right away as soon as we get our roster finalized. Well, well, good luck in your in your preparations and your preseason. Good luck um, as you as you get ready, and um, hopefully, Mark, when we uh, get into the season, we'll um, get you back on board and and talk about the number of air miles your guys have uh, <laughs> gathered up in the in the first few weeks. So, thank you very much, and good luck. Thank you, guys. We'll talk soon. And there you have it, Pete Steinberg, Mark Winnicker. Very, very interesting conversation there and exciting times up in Toronto and Canada, Pete. Absolutely. I mean, I think there's a, there's, there's a lot that can be um, gained from Canadian rugby by having a professional side. I mean, you look at Cam Dolan scoring um, two tries for the Eagles and then Can, um, Hanko Kamase also scoring a try. All Major League Rugby um, uh, players making an impact in that win over um, Samoa. So I think that we'll see um, a lot more of that from um, from the Canadians. And of course, they have a huge game this weekend. They get to play Germany in the Rapprochage and Germany um, upset Hong Kong. Um, Hong Kong kind of came into this uh, um, game with uh, um, as the favorites, as the number one seed, but 
Um, the German forwards just took apart the um, Hong Kong team and the Canadians. This is this is the game. This is really the game. If they if they win the game, then pretty much they'll be through uh, to the World Cup because Hong Kong didn't get any bonus points. Um, if they lose but get a bonus point or two, they'll still be in it with their game against Hong Kong. But then they're relying on the Kenya team that they blew out to do something against Germany, which I don't think anyone is um, uh, feeling is going to happen. So lots going on this coming weekend, including, Dan, um, the U.S. playing Romania, um, which will be another interesting matchup before they go on to play Ireland. How do you see this game going? Well, always a tough road trip to uh, Bucharest in uh, November. Uh, tough conditions, tough crowd. Romania, you know, they're you know they'll they'll put in a good performance at home. I, I really do think they've uh, they're a little bit like a possum. You know, they uh, they they do good at home but get killed on the road. So it could be a tough outing for the Eagles. We'll see how they come out of the very physical Samoa game. Like you said, a little scrappy, but always. F- very physical against Samoa. So it'll be interesting to see how they do back up after that victory. Um, we, we saw earlier in the year when they had the Scotland win, we were almost anticipating a little bit of a hangover from that, and it didn't happen. They they continued to play well. So uh, it'll be very interesting to run the rule over that Romania game here uh, next week. Yeah, I mean, I think so. The, um, the Romanians actually had a big game this past weekend as well against Portugal, and they need to win that game to stay up in the. Um, uh, they had to stay up in the, um, in the European Championship and in, in the top tier. So they won that game. And actually, five of their players have now been um, released, five of their starting forwards. One retired, um, interesting time to retire. And then four went back to their professional clubs, which. Um, it's not something that should happen in the window, but tier two nations sometimes make uh, some um, adjustments based on on preparation. So I'm actually thinking that, you know, knowing Gary Gold, he's not going to select down. He's not going to look past this team. They're going to play the best side that they have available. Um, I think that the uh, um, um, and I think that the US is, is, is going to come out of this and um, they're going to have a big win and they're going to go into the island game, which is, of course, the the big game that we want to see us all step up on um, in the fast, in the last game of the, uh, their full tour the following weekend. Yeah, that will be the big test, won't it? Ireland, uh, we saw last year that historic win against uh, New Zealand at Soldier Field, and they've really gone strength to strength. There was a slight possibility they could jump to number one. They needed a few favours. They weren't forthcoming. But uh, a victory uh, for them you know, would be very important. So I believe they've got the All Blacks this week as well, right, Pete? Um, they do. I mean, that's obviously their big game. I think that that you'll see. Um, uh, I mean, I, I mean, this is the number one team and the number two team in the world playing, and so I think for the Irish, this is uh, this is their big game. Um, the All Blacks managed to squeak one out with the thank with the with the uh, help of the TMO. And Dan, we could have a whole podcast on TMOs and, and officials. There was a red card in the U.S. Women's game that um, was by by rights was. And, and by the directive that was given was definitely a red card, but is was not called in any of the other games. And then in the England game, there was a um, an overturn of the um, of a try that would have given with Sam Underhill in an amazing game, who would have given England um, a famous win, but it was turned over by the TMO because Courtney Laws was offside before the kick. And there are many many memes flying around the internet about that offside 
And uh, obviously, you are an American citizen, Pete, but uh, spent some time over in England, so you have a somewhat biased opinion on whether Laws was onside or offside. And, and, and you're Australian, so there's no way you're pulling for the All Blacks. I mean, the All Blacks are becoming so dominant that, that I don't think anyone's pulling for them. But, you know, look, I can, in, in all of this, I think, I think the challenge is, and this is the little bit of a rant I'm going to go on, I think the challenge in all of this is that World Rugby is using these directives. These directives are not being um, applied consistently. So um, for the England game, the directive was that the decision should be made by the referee on the field and not by the TMO. And the TMO absolutely made that decision. Um, they, um, the directive for the November tests for the um, uh, for the contact of the ball carrier was that anything that was um, an elbow or a forearm to the neck um, or to the head was a red card. And Megan Rom absolutely had her forearm go into the neck of a player. However, that was called correctly there, but that probably happened three or four times, um, you know, in the other games on that weekend. And let's not go back to the, Sean Davies dump tackle in Chicago. There's a real moment right now that where I think there's so much inconsistency that it's becoming really, really difficult not to have a controversial call in a game where the referee is trying to hit this moving target and, and they're not just not doing it successfully. Yeah, just to be very, very clear, I, I'm not on the uh on the side of against the referees on this, I think they're in a very, very tough spot. And I think we touched on this uh, with the Sean Davies thing as well. I think it, it's almost become they're very reluctant to make a call on the field now and would rather send it to the TMO as a security blanket. And you know, some people may be opposed to this because I think it has shown that it's got some calls right. But I, I wouldn't mind just seeing the TMO disappear and letting the, you know, the three officials on the field, uh, like we used to, just call the game. And, you know, whatever happens, happens. And there'll be people who'll be upset with calls. And, you know, that's inevitable. But I think it takes away this very large gray area we have now with the TMO and how much they get involved or all that stuff. So, um, you know, there's even been talk of a captain's challenge similar to the, uh, you know, a flag, red flag that the coaches have that American sports fans would be familiar with in the NFL, a challenge flag. The captain is on the field. He can go, hey, you know what? I want to challenge. I want to challenge that try. Here's what I want. And then they can go upstairs rather than the referees dictating the TMO and bringing them into the game so much. Your thoughts on that one, Mr. Steinberg? Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm not a huge fan of that. I think that the um, the captains have enough. I think that w- what you would find is that the coaches would be signaling down to the trainers that are on the sideline who'd be signaling to the referees. I mean, I mean to the captains. I, I, I'm, I, I think... It's, it's a lot more about just getting clarity and probably just getting more experience. And, and remember, we're a year out from the World Cup. So at some point, all of this movement that happens, all of these directives happen, that they're going to stop and they're just going to work on getting ready for 2019. But let's get back to Major League Rugby. We're in a little bit of a phony wartime here, right, Dan? We, we, we had the big board meeting in Chicago. We had um, the announcement of DC coming in 2020 the arrows coming in 2019. Of course, we had the schedule that we went through yesterday and things have gone a little quiet um, over, over the last week. I mean, the uh, um, arrows announced um, uh, signings and, and, of, and of course the, the big news is actually, or the exciting news is the free Jacks who, although they're not coming into 2020 are, are in, have an agreement with the um, Irish rugby 
football union for the to create a competition in March of April of next year. Do you know much about that, Dan? Well, they're going to have a friendly series against a lot of the provincial sides over there. I believe uh, Connick, Munster and uh, Leinster will be involved. I believe Ulster as well. Um, sorry to Irish rugby fans if I'm off with one of those, but I believe that uh, those are the four teams and uh, it's going to happen spring next year. So not surprising that they're going to align themselves uh, with the Irish. You know, Boston has that great Irish history. Um, uh, I think it's going to be a really good test. We saw Rooney do something very similar, but more on a domestic level. So, you know, the Free Jacks there, you know, planting their flag in the ground here and uh, definitely, you know, sending a warning to the other teams that they're going to be battle-ready come 2020 when they kick off uh, in the MLR, Pete. Well, I think most importantly for the Free Jacks is it gives them games which allows them to sell something to players to be involved early. I mean, I think we've seen a lot of movement from teams around here. And, of course, the the big one is um, Kyle Sumption moving as the captain of the Sabercats, leaving the Sabercats and moving to New York. And you've got to look at the totality of what's being offered by these teams. Um, and I think that the Free Jacks having... Um, games, it's just going to make them more attractive. It allows them to go out and say, hey, come and play for us. No, you're going to get to play really high-level games. We're really going to help build your skills and build your base. And I think we'll start seeing some younger players coming out of college and going to the Free Jacks and seeing that as an opportunity of de- for development. What's your view on the um, on the assumption move? Well, we know that he moved up north for work. Uh, he'll be involved up at West Point with Matt Sherman and the program up there, which is a great pickup for them. Um, not surprising. I mean, he's a young guy. He still wants to play. He's had some issues with concussions in the past, but I think he was pretty healthy in one of the uh, Sabercats' best players last year. I think he's really going to thrive under the coaching of Tolkien as well. Uh, you know, he kind of almost fits that hard-nosed New York attitude. He was a very no-nonsense physical player. Uh, you know, he comes out of the Utah area original from his schooling down in uh, BYU there, but I just really feel that New York kind of persona really suits Kyle Sumption and uh, add that to, you know, we talked to Matt Houston a few weeks ago, add him to that back row as well. Uh, I tell you, Rooney, they're going to come out of the gates. They're going to come out of the gates steaming. And if they can get through that road stretch there when the weather in the Northeast is a little rough, if they can come out of that at at 500 with, uh, you know, 50-50 on wins and losses, I think they're in for a really dangerous run with all those home games at the back end of the year, Pete. Absolutely. And of course, one of the teams that they're going to have to come up against is the defending champions, the Seattle Seawolves, who also had a big signing this week. And they filled a hole, and it was a hole that was never really filled, even in their championship season. And that's at fly half. And they've brought in Ben Seema, the young fly half from San Diego, um, formerly from Gonzaga High School, who you know, has um, a number of caps for the U.S., both at fly half and at fullback. And I think that's a great addition for the Seawolves. And, you know, we've we've seen a lot of re-signings for them, a lot of players. They're keeping that core together. But 10 was definitely a challenge. I mean, I think Will Holder was their, their best 10. Peter Smith was there a little bit. I don't think either of them really owned it. And I think that Ben Seymour has a chance to really help develop um, uh, that attack as Seattle go into the second season. I think this will be really good for Ben as well, Pete, because now it allows him to be the man. 
And, you know, he kind of exploded onto the scene internationally. He was pushed to the front, um, good-looking kid, well-spoken, comes from a great family, all the star power that we were looking for. But I think we pushed Ben just a little bit too quickly. Fly half at an international level is very, very difficult. You know, you've got to understand the flow of the game and how to command players around you. He was dealing with a lot of senior players. You know, at the time, Todd Clever was still playing and, you know, he's there basically telling Todd where he needs him, where he's running. And that's a that's a big ask for a 20, 21-year-old kid. Um, he had a tough year last year. I think he would even admit that himself. San Diego, he was kind of in the mix. He wasn't in the mix and there's, you know, the... Tig leader and there was other people around there. Audsley, I think, even played a little bit of 10 at some points. And he really never looked like he was the man. Now, this gives him a chance to go up to Seattle, defending chance, great forward pack, great forward pack, super experienced scrum half, which he did not have in San Diego. I know Augsburg was there, but again, Nate's more of a soft-spoken kind of guy. He's not a, you know, the, the Phil Mack, who he's going to go play with type leader. And then Nick Boyer as well, also a youngster, super excited to watch Nick Boyer develop. But now he's got this senior guy at nine who can kind of boss everyone around and just let Ben play. And I think he's really going to find himself in a better situation in, in Seattle and he'll really have a chance to grow up there. <clears throat> That's right. So he has um, Phil Mack inside him and he has Shalom, um, Shalom Siniola outside him. I mean, that's where you want to be as a young player, right? It's where you can just go out and express. Although, you know, I, I, I think Phil Mack is a wonderful scrum half. I think he provided so much for that team. But his service is not one of his strengths. And so it's going to be interesting to see, you know, um, as, as someone that's played um, a lot of nine and a bit of ten, you know, the service from the nine is really what makes the 10. But you're right about um, being behind a big pack and um, a pack that's going to get them go forward ball. I think I think he's in a really good spot. Um, and of course, the Toronto Arrows first came out from um, first came out with their first round of signings. They signed 12 flyers, um, as you heard from Mark earlier on in the podcast. Um, a large chunk of their players are going to be Canadian, but they picked up a couple of foreign players. So the Glendale Combine is beginning to have its impact. That was the World Rugby Combine in Glendale where players from across the Americas came in. And um, Gaston Marez from Uruguay, who is a wing fullback, has played 62 times for Uruguay. He's someone who made the Toronto Arrows from that combine. And then they're beginning to bring in a smattering of, of foreign players. And Mark said that this would be true. And so um, they added a New Zealander, Morgan Mitchell, who's been playing in what's called the Mitre 10 Cup. So for people that aren't familiar with the New Zealand rugby scene, that is the group of teams that feed into Super Rugby. And in most cases, what we're seeing is we're seeing players that were playing in the Mitre 10 Cup come over and play in major major league rugby. So the Mitre 10 Cup is also a professional league. And I think we're going to see some of the relationships that um, teams have had with some of the New Zealand teams open up some doors from that. So more to come from the Toronto Arrows, but immediately they were able to come out with 12. And I think we'll just see more of those Canadians coming on board. And I'm sure we'll see more of those signings um, happen after the Canadian team finishes its repechage. Yeah, but the Morgan Mitchell signing is a good one, isn't it? He's a young, he's a young kid, twenty-five years of age, still very young in the prop world. Still probably, you know, the three to five years away from hitting uh, that front row maturity, which is around that twenty-eight to thirty at international levels. And you know, I think he played uh, under seventeens or some schoolboys for New Zealand, perhaps. 
So got the pedigree there. And that's that's one of the things we saw last year at the set piece in particular scrum. It's good to see teams going out and putting an emphasis on that this offseason and trying to shore that up. We saw what Seattle were able to do most of the year just off the back of their scrum. And, you know, Glendale, who met them in the final, no slouch as well. So teams out there getting that done. And then, like you and Mark talk, they're going to be, you know, a pretty hot ticket there for Canadian players to head over Toronto to play. Well, yeah. I mean, just yeah, just just to say, I think that we're going to be seeing a lot of um, signings coming up. Most of the teams are starting up their preseason in the next couple of weeks, so I think that we'll see more signings coming out. The Mitre Ten competition just ended, so I think we'll see some people come from there. And then you know, um, there's a lot of combines going on that all of these teams are having um, are having looking for new players. So don't forget to check out your local major league rugby team if you're interested and i know the free jacks had a little combine and had 80 players come and try out which just tells you the interest that we have in major league rugby well there certainly is if you've never played rugby don't be shy get out there they're looking at athleticism as well a lot of the tests would be very familiar to american athletes in that combine setting and you know that's the the benefit of having coaches there who can develop players so um you know we've seen the carlin isles perry bakers you know alex elkins who was with the Sabercats last year coming from different sports and trying to find their way with rugby. So why not give it a crack? It's the the right time to come over now. There's a pathway there to uh, professional sports for these people. So exciting times, Pete, uh, indeed. And hopefully, like you said, we'll see some more signings here in the next couple of weeks. And maybe some of the teams who have been playing a little coy uh, will have to send some moles out to their uh, preseason training sessions and see what we can dig up. <laughs> that's right, Dan. Well, you know, it's been great to ha- have another podcast with you. Everyone that's listening, please, you know, subscribe to us on iTunes. We are now on um, Spotify or whatever your um, podcast uh, app is. Subscribe to us. Leave a review. We'd love to hear, hear from you guys. And that helps um, other people see it and we're now counting down to the kickoff of major league rugby we're just a few months away just two months to go pete we'll put a, a number of sleeps we'll start a running calendar somewhere so people can log on and check that out as well here in the next couple of weeks well pete that wraps us up for my good friend pete steinberg co-host and our producer aaron castro this is dan powers saying thanks for tuning in and we'll talk to you next time